Well, good evening to you. Uh, I'd like to say thank you for the invitation to come to open up God's Word. It's a great privilege and one that I don't take lightly, so I'm very grateful for the motivation to get into God's Word, and I look forward to sharing with you uh, the offering this evening. I'd like you to turn in Luke's Gospel and to chapter 6. I want to read a few, very few verses. Um, from verse 46 down to the end of the chapter. And while you're turning to that, just say to you, as uh, I, I gave a little commercial this morning, simply to say that if you ever struggle with your chosen times, we used to call them that in Finley, chosen times, because we choose to have them or not to have them, as the case may be. If you ever struggle and uh, you, you wonder how you go about understanding and unpacking the text, well, we have a little ministry called Precepts Ministry, which is really helpful. And we're having a training day in Kirkintillic Baptist Church on the 12th of May. It's just for a morning. Our uh, website is Precept Ministries. There's no cost involved to it. And if, if you feel you'd like a little help and you'd like a little more information, do please come to speak to me after the service. Uh, that's the end of the commercial. Thank you. Let's uh, read together uh, this well-known passage. The heading in my Bible is The Wise and Foolish Builders. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. And we do pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's just pray for a moment together. Father, we thank you very much that you've given us your precious word. We confess to you that sometimes we read it and wonder what on earth it's saying because we're unsure, but we want to pray this evening that your Holy Spirit would break it into very small pieces and speak to us, Lord. We, we're concerned to know what's on your heart. Help us, O oh Lord, to understand in an understanding that, that there might be a response, a response that would honor you. So please uh, just remove all distractions and give us this little time where we might be utterly captivated by your truth. And may it speak to our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Some years ago in the Finley Church, we were able to purchase the lease uh, on the shop next door. And as we cleared out the shop next door, we discovered that there was an ATM machine there. And uh, interestingly enough, there were two five-pound notes left in the ATM machine, and they were handed to my wife. And my wife uh, turned up home, having been down to the church one day, and she said, uh, darling, I want to give you uh, some pocket money. And she handed me two fivers, and I thought, hey, this is good. And I said, I think I'll just head off down to uh, the cross and get a paper. And she said, no, 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 don't. They're forged. <laughs> So my heart sank. They were forged five pound notes. How unkind my wife was to me that day. A little while ago, someone showed me a coat 
and said, try it on. So I took this coat and I tried it on and it, it seemed to fit okay and uh, it was quite comfortable. And then this person said to me that actually it was a Montclair coat. And that didn't mean anything to me, but to fashionistas, uh, it, it's a label that, that I believe is desirable in some quarters. And I was told that this coat sold for £950, and I could not imagine anybody spending £950 on a coat. £950 on a coat! I couldn't believe it. Anyway, uh, a little while passed, and I was making all the right noises when this person said, actually, the coat had been bought in China for 30 quid. <laughs> but it was identical to the real thing. It was counterfeit, at least I suspect it was, but you just couldn't tell the difference. And sometimes it's hard to tell the authentic from the fake. Now, on Easter Saturday, I came across an article in a newspaper and let me read some of it to you. It says, one of Britain's leading Anglican clerics has sparked controversy by casting doubts over the resurrection of Jesus just days before Easter. The Archbishop of Wales, John Davies, has been accused of sowing confusion over the biblical story that will be celebrated by millions around the world on Easter Sunday. Asked in an interview about the New Testament account of Jesus rising from the tomb, the archbishop said, I don't think any of us actually knows, quite frankly. He told online magazine Christian Today that it was terribly hard for people to grasp the idea of a bodily resurrection. In his interview, Archbishop Davies said there were almost contradictory accounts in the Gospels about how the risen Christ had appeared to his disciples, saying, I don't think anyone can tell you what happened when it comes to an empty tomb. Well, if the resurrection isn't true, then what on earth are we doing? Because the whole of Christianity is built on the resurrection of Christ. The fact that Christ rose from the dead validated every claim and promise that he ever made. And he taught that he was going to rise from the dead. So if he didn't rise from the dead, what are we doing? We can all go home and do whatever we want. Because Christianity is a lie. But Jesus did rise from the dead. He is alive. And there is evidence for that. It is true that it can be difficult to discern what's genuine and authentic from that which is counterfeit. And the tragedy of our day and age is that up and down this land there are churches where messages are preached that don't present the truth of the word. And so it's a little bit difficult to discern what is an authentic Christian and what's a counterfeit Christian. That's one of the difficulties. It can be difficult to discern what's genuine and authentic in terms of a disciple, and what's merely a form of religion. Now we know, don't we, that the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to be disciples who make disciples. Isn't that right? He said to his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel, go into all the world and make 
disciples, or go make disciples of all nations. So he was speaking to disciples and telling those disciples that their responsibility was to go and make disciples. So we are to be disciples who make disciples. But what does it mean to make a disciple? Well, in simple terms, a disciple is is somebody who learns. He is a learner. Someone who builds his or her life on God's holy word. That's what a Christian disciple is. And yet it is possible for a person to claim to be a disciple while not paying any attention to God's word, whatever about putting God's word into practice. That's why there are so many folks around about who are confused as to what a real Christian is. This is the clear implication of the question our Lord asked in the first verse of our reading. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And Jesus was clearly speaking to the crowd that were gathered around him. Now, the term Lord, it's the language of the disciple. Lord. And the repetition of the word Lord, saying it twice is an intense affirmation of allegiance. Lord, Lord. But ironically, Jesus clearly had followers who did not make obedience a habit. They may have followed Jesus out of simple curiosity, or because others were following him, or because there was the hope of a a meal, a fish supper or a fish breakfast or whatever. But there were clearly those who followed Jesus who were not his disciples. So Jesus warned them and instructed them about what to do. And the warning is pictured in the extreme differences of the two houses. One stands and one collapses. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't present the picture of some middle ground of one house that's built a little bit on the bank and on a rock and part of it in the, in the river. There were just two. One house that was built on a solid foundation and another, another excuse me, that was built on, a, 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 on a, a foundation that was utterly inadequate. No middle ground. And the structures of our lives will stand or fall depending on what we do with Christ's words. Now look what he said in verse 47. He said, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. This is really interesting. Faithful disciples are those who keep coming, who keep hearing, and who keep doing Jesus' words. As the three words in this sentence literally read, these three words, especially the latter two, are the key to authentic discipleship and to a life that stands amidst the storms that we shall have to endure. So we're just going to look at that text and see what it means. So, the authentic disciple. We know, first of all, the authentic disciple is the one who comes to Jesus. Verse 47, as for everyone who comes to me, the authentic disciple, first of all, comes to Jesus. 
Real discipleship must always begin with a coming to Jesus. Now, I suspect if we went around this room and asked folks about their experiences, we would each have a different story to tell. And that simply reminds us that our coming to Jesus is intensely personal. No two stories are the same. Remember when Jesus preached, people came to hear him, and I suspect that the twelve stood as close as they could to Jesus to identify with him. But there were very many others there in that crowd. In Luke chapter 6, we read in verses 17 and 18, a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who'd come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. The large crowd was doing the right thing. They'd come to hear the word of God. They were doing what they could. Do you remember the woman who had a flow of blood and she'd spent all her money on trying to get healing and she couldn't get anybody to heal her? And then she heard that Jesus was coming and so she decided that she would go to see Jesus. She was very brave because with this flow of blood she was unclean and wasn't supposed to mix with other people. But she went to see Jesus, and uh, she touched the hem of his garment, and I suspect she had to get down to do that, to bow down. And Jesus stopped immediately. Do you remember what happened? Jesus said, who touched me? And Peter said, Lord, there's a great crowd around you. People are rubbing shoulders with you. Who touched me? You see, there was only one person in that crowd who reached out with a finger of faith and touched him. And so his power only went out to one person in that crowd. Great crowd around Jesus. But his power, his healing power, only went out to the person who reached out with a finger of faith. We have to come to Jesus. And the large crowd were doing the right thing. They'd come to hear the word of God. They were doing what they could. Now today, the preaching of God's word in church services provides a place where people can approach Christ. There are no churchless disciples. Authentic disciples come to Jesus. Well, I guess we could stop there and ask one another, well, have we come to Jesus? Has there ever been a moment that we can look back and remember that we actually came to Jesus and spoke to him and asked him for help? Authentic disciples come to Jesus. And then the second thing we learn from the text is this, that authentic disciples not only come, but hear his words. Now, coming to Christ enables a hearing, and some in the crowd didn't hear what Jesus said, and it wasn't a volume problem. It wasn't that they were seated down the back and their hearing wasn't good and they just couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. It wasn't a volume problem. It's just that they weren't listening. I wonder, have you ever been on an airplane? And uh, you're gearing up to go, and the air hostess stands there, and she says, uh, now the safety briefing comes, and the, 
The Tannoy speaks, there's a recorded message. He says, please give attention to this. You might need to know where the emergency exits are. So the lady stands up there and she has the seatbelt and she does it this way and then she pulls it tight and then she puts it on the floor and she gets the, the um, life jacket and puts it over her head and ties it round the back, twists it and then ties it in a double bow at the side. And you're not flying over water, maybe you're flying down to London. You think it's great to have a life jacket going down to London, you know. I might need it somewhere. Uh, and, and what happens when the lady hostess uh, does this safety briefing? Everybody goes to sleep, don't they? They take out the magazine or they read a book or they're on their phones. They should have turned them off at that stage, but they're on their phones or they've got their iPads or their Kindles. They're doing something nobody pays any attention in one ear and out the other. And sadly, there are folks who come to church like that. They come for all sorts of reasons. Maybe they were brought up to come to church. It's a good thing to do. But it's possible for us to sit and not really to listen, to be taking a mental hike and just imagine ourselves walking up our favorite hill or going round our favorite supermarket or whatever your thing is. It's possible for us to do that. True hearing requires several disciplines. The first of those disciplines is listening. It's listening. Listening is a skill. That means it's something that we learn. We're not born with the ability to listen. We are born with the ability to hear. But listening is a skill. And that skill has been severely impaired by culture's glut of words because billions of words are spoken every second and sometimes it seems as though they are assaulting us mercilessly through the tv and the radio and the multiple conversations that go on around about us we are distracted people also the visual media with their video bites and quick scene or topic changes have reduced our attention spans in addition the modern mind which responds so readily to self-directed subjective feeling-oriented messages has difficulty following the reasoned arguments of scripture and even worse many people who attend church regularly simply do not want to hear god's word because god might be asking something of them in 2 Timothy, we read chapter 4, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Occasionally, I have the opportunity of speaking to young, younger men setting out a ministry. And one of the things that we sometimes say is that you generally know what kind of a reaction you're going to get to what you preach before you preach it. So if you're going to preach a gospel message with a big appeal, the Christians will come after and say, whoa, that was great, well done. If you're going to preach a message to encourage folks, folks are going to come and say, oh, that was wonderful, thank you so much. If you preach to edify, folks will come out and big smile. But if you preach to educate, they'll just come out and shake your hand and go. Why? Because we are in a comfort zone. And we don't really appreciate it when God moves us out of our comfort zones. So listening is a discipline. It's work. And what can we do to develop our listening skills? Well, the first thing we can do to develop our listening skills is to pray. Lord, help the preacher. 
and help me to listen. Help me to concentrate. The will to concentrate is fundamental. I remember a number of years ago, somebody came to me and said, uh, not getting anything out of your preaching. I said, that's terrible. I'm really sad about that. Can I ask you some questions? Yeah. I said, well, the, the Jews had a day of preparation for the Passover. So did you, did you get involved in some preparation for the service? What, what do you mean? I said, well, did you pray through the week that, that the Spirit of God would come and give Michael a, a message from the heart of God? He said, no. I said, did you, did you pray before coming, Lord, would you help me to meet you today? Because I, I, I need to hear from you, Lord. No. I said, well, let me encourage you to try to prepare your heart through the week for Sunday. And the next Sunday came along and I walked from the pulpit down to the front door and this guy raced down the aisle after me and said, that was fantastic. And I said, did you think so? And he said, yes. And I said, well, you know, it was pretty much the same as you got last week and God willing, it'll be pretty much the same as you get next week. So what's the difference? And he said, me, I prepared my heart. How important it is to pray. We can't listen to God's word the way we watch TV. Feet up, relaxing with a little drink of whatever it is, a few peanuts in our pocket. You, you, we can't listen to the way we watch in the same way as we watch TV. I want to encourage you, bring a Bible when you come to church. I know it's all on the screen, but bring a Bible with you. A number of years ago, we had some folks who turned up at our church, and they said, um, they were visiting from overseas somewhere, and they'd come out of their hotel, and they wanted to find a church, and uh, they spotted somebody walking past with a Bible. So they said, we'll follow them, and they ended up at our church. And it was a really significant moment for them, because the Lord spoke to them. I can't remember the details, but they were impacted by something in the service. So bringing a Bible to church is really good for other people, but it's good for us too. It's good to be familiar with the passages that we turn to from time to time. And a notebook to make notes. Why do you think preachers work to have structures? Those structures are like pegs or hooks upon which you can hang your thoughts. And you need to go away with something instead of nothing. So it's a good thing to, to prepare. Bring a notebook. It's such an encouragement to see people taking notes. True hearing also requires a reflecting and an applying. And sometimes after a service, I, I just want some space and time to think about what I've heard or what I've learned. And it's hard to think with all the noise that seems to constantly surround us. It seems to me that we so easily lose the thrust of the message. And there are times I've, I just, just want to pack up and go home simply because I don't want to lose what's going on in my heart and my mind. Because here we're in the presence of a holy God. And the holy God, by his grace and mercy, comes to speak to us. And how marvelous it is that we get to hear him. It seems so 
clear to me that we so easily lose what we receive. I think it's too precious to lose easily, don't you? I do think so. So the authentic disciple is one who comes to the Lord Jesus, one who hears the word of the Lord Jesus. And then thirdly, as, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. The authentic disciple is one who, who does, who puts what he learns into practice. A young Korean man uh, traveled a great distance to the home of a missionary whom God had used to lead him to Christ. And having arrived at the home of the missionary, he explained the reason for his visit. He said, I've been memorizing some verses of the Bible and I want to quote them to you. And the missionary was thrilled and said, okay. And the young man recited without error the entire Sermon on the Mount. And uh, uh, the missionary was impressed and he commended the young man for such a remarkable feat of memory. And then being a good missionary, he cautioned the young man not only to say the scriptures, but to practice them. And the young man responded by saying, oh, that's the way I learned them. I tried to memorize them, but they wouldn't stick, so I made a plan. First of all, I would learn a verse, and then I would go and do what the verse said to my neighbor. And after that, I found I could remember it. And that young Korean was an authentic disciple, whether he knew it or not. He'd come to Christ, he'd heard Christ's words, and he'd... He put them into practice. It is in doing that authentic discipleship is fully achieved. Mother Teresa said, preach the gospel. And if you absolutely have to use words. But what she was saying is that live it. Live it. Because then people will want to know how you can live the way you live. Live it. And every time we hear God's word preached or challenged by it, we must choose to act. And sometimes we procrastinate. And when we procrastinate and put things on the long finger, we forget. And that's actually a choice that we make. And maybe the Holy Spirit will give us a gentle nudge. And most of the time, it will be about something small, maybe an apology or a kind word of encouragement or a, an attitude that needs an adjustment, whatever it is. We are to be obedient to act. I learned a, a lesson some years ago that uh, shook me to the core. I had been gifted a sabbatical, and I would uh, had an invitation to go and do some study in the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. So off I went, and uh, while I was there, I attended some lectures. My wife wasn't there, so I would never choose to do that again, but we used to speak on the phone in the middle of the night for her because she couldn't sleep. And I needed to buy a pair of boots and I used to wander around Chicago praying a, a lot. And I wandered into a shop that was called Filene's Basement, which kind of amused me because it was on the second floor of a, of a, of a building. But there you go, that's American irony for you. And um, I, I found a pair of boots that were kind of partway between fashion and function, Timberland boots. And I was saying to my wife, I said, I found these boots. And, and she said, just go get them. I was on a really, really tight budget. And I mean tight budget, so I wasn't sure I could. But she said, you know, go, go get them. So I went back to the shop and I took the boots down off the shelf. They were my size and I tried them on and yeah, they were okay. They were quite comfortable and they fitted. 
And uh, the problem was they were tied together by a little nylon tie, which was maybe about this long. So I could only kind of shuffle along. And the nylon was threaded through the little eyelet, the half hoop of metal eyelet. Uh, and so I just kind of kicked my leg thinking, you know, I'll break the nylon. But it didn't break the nylon. The little half hoop through which the nylon was threaded kind of straightened out. Ping! And it flew off. <gasps> so I went and I picked it up and I very quickly took the boots off. And I got this little bit of straightened metal and I popped it in the boot and I put them back on the shelf. And I got another pair in my size. There was another pair, which is great. And I got the other pair and I went and paid for them and I got out of the shop. And I thought, that's great. I've got a pair of boots now. And uh, the Holy Spirit got to work on me. The Holy Spirit said, you're a pastor. You're supposed to honor the Lord. How are you honoring God and what you've done? And you know something? It didn't take me but a second to come up with a hundred really solid reasons why I should not go back to that job. It was so easy. And I had this internal conversation, and you know what that's about, don't you? Because you've had conversations in your heart with yourself as to why you should or shouldn't do whatever it is you shouldn't do or should do. And I had this conversation, and I walked around the city, and I said, no, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, and then it got worse. The Holy Spirit really got to work on me. And then I thought, well, I'll go back to the shop and I'll, I'll just see if they're still there because maybe I could bring the boots that I paid for and swap them with a boot that I left there and maybe I can fix it when I get home. So I go back to the shop. I didn't bring the boots that I paid for with. I went back to the shop and I, I, I found the boots there and I took them off the shelf. And somebody had obviously tried it on and thought, oh, there's something in this boot and shaken it out. And the little piece of metal was nowhere to be seen. So there was no way I was going to be able to fix it. And I walked around that shop and I think they looked at me. thought, oh boy, this guy's going to... He's casing the joint for a serious robbery. He's been here for an hour wandering around. He said, oh, what's he doing? And I finally went up to the, the lady behind the counter. And I said, look, I said, I have a confession to make. And she looked at me and said, really? I said, yeah. And I told her what I had done. And you know, she looked at me and said, oh, that doesn't matter. I couldn't believe it. I walked out of the shop and I thought, what was that all about? Why did I have to go through all of that when this didn't matter? And then I realized that the Holy Spirit had been giving me a nudge. And I'd been ignoring the Holy Spirit. I'd been making excuses, rationalizing, coming up with plausible reasons why I shouldn't go back. And then it struck me. I wonder how many times over the years the Spirit of God has spoken, but I haven't listened so if you come and you get a gentle nudge, and it will be a gentle nudge, about something small like an apology that maybe you need to give, or a kind word of encouragement that you need to pass on, or a change of attitude, or whatever it is, when we are obedient and act upon it, we step into true dis discipleship. And each step we take into new discipleship will be more natural and a little easier. When Jesus called into question the discipleship 
of the large crowd by saying to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He was referring to their disobedience. You see, they were not acting on his teaching. They were hearers only. And James tells us in his epistle, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Because when we listen to the word and we do nothing with it, we're fooling ourselves. And God in his mercy and grace looks down on us and loves us individually enough to speak to us. And when he speaks to us, it's very important we obey. You see, authentic disciples call Jesus Lord, hear what he says, and put what he says into practice. And how do such disciples fare in life? Well, he tells us. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it. Now note it doesn't say if the floods come or the torrents come. It says when the torrents come, the floods come. Because they will come. They are part of life and living. But if our house is built upon the rock, if our lives are built on the foundation of the word of God, the Lord Jesus says, at the end, we shall still be standing. We shall still be standing at the end. There is a wonderful old hymn that you will have sung here for years, and you probably know it very well. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say to you? He hath said, who unto the Savior for refuge have fled. In every condition, in sickness, in health, in poverty's veil or abounding in wealth, at home or abroad, on the land or the sea, as thy days may demand, so thy succor shall be. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, and he does call us to go through deep waters, the rivers of sorrow shall not thee overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I cannot, desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Life that's built on the foundation of the word. The authentic disciple is one who comes to Jesus, who hears what Jesus says and who puts those words into practice. But there's something even more significant here. And it's this, that when the final test comes at the judgment day, the foundation upon which your life and my life is built will be what will make the difference. Our lives built upon the rock, who is Jesus. People asked Jesus a question which he answered with great clarity. 
They asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And Jesus was sent. And Jesus said, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like the man building a house who dug down deep, laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. I don't think there's any real reason for us to be confused about what a disciple is because Jesus has told us, isn't he? May he give us grace to be the people that he wants us to be. Doesn't Peter say in his epistle, always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is within you? And when do you have to make a defense in response to an accusation? And what's the accusation? So often the accusation is, how can you live like this? How come you're not tearing your hair out or going out and getting absolutely blind drunk? How can you live like this? We live like this. Because we know him. We've come to him. We've heard his word. And we're committed to living it out. That our lives might be for the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so very much for your mercy, your grace, and your kindness, for the love that you have shown to us. We don't deserve it, O Lord, but you have been so gracious to us, and we are profoundly grateful. We thank you for every head that's bowed in your presence here this evening, and for the listening that there has been evident to your word. And we would ask that you would send your spirit to touch each heart just in these moments, because perhaps there are one or two whose lives are not built on the solid foundation that is Christ the rock. And it's a terrible thought to think, O oh Lord, that one day that storm of judgment will come and how awfully sad it would be if our lives were destroyed because they were built on the wrong foundation, more, more especially because in this place we will have heard the truth. Oh God, please help us that we each one might reach out to you as you reach out to us. We pray, Father, for those who might need encouragement because they're going through a difficult time just now. In your mercy, put your arms around them and whisper into their hearts those wonderful words there is nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love of God so please strengthen our hearts O oh Lord encourage us to keep going make us a community of encouragers so that on those days when we need encouragement that somebody would come alongside us and encourage us and on other days that we might be the ones doing the encouragement we do ask these things Father as we say thank you for all your mercies and grace 
In the precious and beautiful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.